Hello everyone, welcome to episode 3 of the Collectible Chaos Cast. I'm a Kendall Richardson, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to get into this one because, uh, well, mostly because I'm just always excited to do this. I love doing my top 10s, as you all know, and this is a really cool topic that I'm, I'm super proud of that I, you know, decided actually do this one and talk I get to talk about all these fantastic films some of which are probably in my top like top 10 of all time and it's because of these phenomenal women so today I'm going to be discussing all of my thoughts on um, my top 10 favorite female-led films so these are going to be films that have definitely at least the you know female in the lead role uh, in the main she's the center she's the focus She's badass, she's awesome, she's independent, and she's just inspirational. So, Or it could expand to include films that just have entire female casts or just a, an ensemble cast, just as long as there's some strong female characters in there that I'm absolutely in love with and absolutely adore watching, then yeah, those are the, basically the qualifications to make this list. So uh, I had a lot of fun narrowing this one down and... Uh, Figuring out the order was pretty easy, actually. Sometimes it can be a bit tricky, but I, yeah, going in, I already knew what my number one was, and I think my number two, and and then as things happened, it was pretty easy to figure out um, where everything else kind of fits. So let's dive in, shall we? Um, I'm super excited. Also just wanted to mention the main reason I'm doing my uh, top 10 favorite female-led films is because literally... At the time of recording this, yesterday was International Women's Day, so I'm being a little cheeky and I'm just turning it into International Women's Month for this podcast and for this episode of Collectible Chaos uh, that's coming out and celebrating the power and oh, the incredible awesomeness that is just females in film and um, and how much fun women can have and how strong they can be and how beautiful they are and yeah so I'm super yeah like I said super excited to get into it so let's kick off with my number 10 pick and that is Wonder Woman some people might be shocked to see Wonder Woman so high up on the list knowing me and knowing my love for superheroes but I just couldn't I couldn't work her down any Diana is where she is. I couldn't get her down any lower on the list. Um, that's that's it. But, you know, I had to include her. There was no way I wasn't going to include Wonder Woman on the list. I am a pretty big fan of Gal Gadot, uh, or Gal Gadot. Uh, still unclear on the pronunciation of that, uh, but, you know, I'm willing to admit that I, I am probably wrong. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm a very big fan of hers, and I, I am falling in love with her as as Diana, the princess of the Mascara. Um, she is she's beautiful, uh, beautiful woman and beautiful actress. And I I really love like the first thing I, I thought to myself after I, you know, she was announced as being cast as Wonder Woman back for, um, you know, Batman versus Superman in 2016. She looks the part. She looks the part like perfectly. She, she's just I don't know. She just really. Yeah, she's very striking. She has a really nice on-screen presence. Because she's so gorgeous, she just she's so photogenic and looks wonderful up on the screen. But when you actually get to watch her performance, I really like the kind of groundedness she brings to Diana and the the humbleness and the even though she's one of the most powerful women 
in the world, uh, in the DCEU, or if not the most, I think she would be. You know, she's so... She, it's not about that with her. She, it's all about her heart and what's inside and and the way Gal plays that in the film is just so wonderful and <laughs> wonderful, Wonder Woman. Yes, I like puns, uh, even when they're unintentional. Um, but she's just so she's just so beautiful to watch the way she just kind of really hones in on the true spirit of Diana. I absolutely love it. Uh, I couldn't love it more. She's just, she's a dream to watch. And in this film, um, you know, this was huge because back in 2017, this was the first film uh, of, you know, since the phenomenon that is superhero films has really risen and become at the forefront of the movie-going industry, um, movie-making industry, this is the first time we've had a superhero film of this caliber led by a woman, you know, and that's as a Marvel fan, as an MCU fan primarily, you know, I that is the one thing I will submit to DC on always is the fact that they they beat they beat Marvel to it, you know. Uh, I mean, Marvel had Black Widow for ages, and they introduced Wasp, um, who then, or well, in 2018, was you know a lead co-lead in that with Ant-Man, but um, you know, DC did it first. They had a female led blockbuster film and so you know hats off to them for absolutely smashing marvel in that aspect but um and yeah and it's a really good film patty jenkins is the director and what a choice (laughs) i i really love her work and uh like as i i'd seen i think well when i say i love her work i've only seen wonder woman and monster but then again that's she hasn't really directed too much I, I believe, from memory, I think that was the first film she'd directed since Monster, maybe, or I could be getting my wires crossed and remembering things incorrectly. So I apologise in advance if I messed that up. But Monster was, you know, uh, based on the true story of Eileen Warnos, the uh, infamous serial killer that, you know, won Charlize Theron, her, her Oscar, back in 2003, 2004, around that time. But that's a brilliant film. I highly recommend watching it. It's her and Christina Ricci being just incredible to watch it's just crazy so patty jenkins directed that and then she's here for wonder woman and yeah it's the way you can just tell the difference and i'm i'm gonna bag out Zack snyder but that's something i generally do uh anyway because i have mixed feelings about him but you can tell the difference between for example wonder woman and justice league so the way that patty jenkins presents the female body, the female form, um, and these badass women in Wonder Woman is so awesome. There's no objectification. Um, They're all badass, independent. Like, like Themyscira is, you know, this Amazonian island, you know, paradise, but filled with these women warriors. Like, they're not all there, like, you know, lounging about and feeding each other grapes and, you know, being all kind of, you know, sensual with each other. None of, you know... That's not the visual we're getting. It's these badass women that are just, you know, living in harmony together and training to fight and, you know, for the day that Ares will, you know, return and screw some shit up for them. Um, You know, they're ready to fight and train and and, and they're just... It's so good and so powerful to watch. And I love those battle scenes earlier on the... You know, earlier on the film, once uh, Steve Trevor rocks up on Themyscira and... 
you know, the, I think it was, I think it's the Germans, yeah, the, I think it's the Germans attack them and the, they get involved in the war, or maybe it was the Americans. I have forgotten, or the British, the Allies. I haven't watched Wonder Woman in a, in a little while, so I'm going to apologize again for that. But regardless, yeah, that, that first, like, montage, like, fight scene on the beach is pretty phenomenal and just the stunts these women can nail the look, the the way they're all the way they're all shot and framed, and how badass it is. I just love it so much. You, then you you take that, and then you compare it to Justice League and what Zack Snyder did. He changed the costumes on the women. They they <laughs> you you know I mean you get you don't spend too much time with the Amazonians in Justice League, but when you do, like their costumes are are not the practical ones the suitable ones that were shown in Wonder Woman they're more I don't want to say skimpy but you know what I mean they're more about the more about the fashion over practicality and showing off certain aspects of a of a woman's body and it's just I have never approved of of that I mean you don't need to don't need to do that I don't yeah I don't get it but anyway I digress a little bit I yeah I love this movie you know I I did want to love it more the reason probably one of the reasons why it is number 10 is just because I it was so close to being incredible for me but then the third act kind of let it down I it's just the I don't know I didn't really enjoy the the final battle between you know Ares and uh and Diana it was a bit meh CG heavy. Blah. I didn't didn't like it, but the No Man's Land sequence is just uh, it's the highlight of the film for a good reason. It's Diana getting up and not willing to go down without a fight, not willing to you know she's she's going to get up and she's going to complete her mission no matter what. And you know, I mean, it it helps that she's very very powerful and you can't really be you know killed by these you know mortal weapons but it's so powerful the way she just steve's like telling her no no you can't and she's like no but it's what i'm going to do and she ascends up the ladder and she she runs out there and and you know helps them take victory oh man yeah that yeah from there that whole sequence through there the way she fights and holds her ground and then they push through and then they end up saving all those villages like it's it's so awesome and i also adore the scene where um they're in the um Oh, like the, I want to say conference room, meeting room, and they're all, like, all the, the heads of the military, the allied military in there are trying to uh, figure out their game plan, their strategy against the, the enemy. And Diana's not liking what she's hearing, and she starts to stand up for herself and stand up for what she feels is right, uh, because, you know, she feels it within herself um, and within her heart what the right thing to do is, and she's realizing that even though these men are the good guys or they're supposed to be the good guys they are making kind of immoral choices and decisions that just leave her kind of disgusted with them it's so it's so fascinating like it doesn't matter which side of the conflict you're on neither side is perfect even if you are fighting for the good like the greater good of the world um, there are imperfections there uh, but I just love the altruistic nature of Diana and the way Gal Gadot portrays that in those scenes not so it's not always about the fighting you know as good as the action scenes are and as good as the no man's land scene is I love this meeting room scene where she just kind of really lets them have it (laughs) before getting kicked out uh, slash asked to leave yeah yeah it's really really awesome so 
I think I might wrap it up there, but I, yeah, I adore this film and, and, you know, it's such a groundbreaking film, Wonder Woman, for female audiences and females in film. Uh, it's just, again, I say wonderful, absolutely wonderful. So that is my number 10 pick, Wonder Woman. Okay, moving on to number nine now, and I'm going to be talking about a film that I really wanted to include on my top 10 of uh, 2019 list, but just it missed out by just the tiniest of margins, uh, and that is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, this is a French film directed by Celine Sciamma. I'm probably butchering that again. Sorry. Uh, she also wrote the script. And so it's, you know, that's another great thing is the fact that this is a film, a beautiful film, and it was written and directed by a woman. And it is about two women who fall in love. And it is honestly one of the most heartbreaking and but but yet beautiful and moving and just and romantic films I've seen in quite some time. I was so in on this film. Like, I mean, it took me it took me a little bit to get into it because it was a little slow at the start because there was barely any dialogue for for like the first half an hour of the film. There's barely any dialogue, and you know, and the story is very simple because this portrait artist Marianne, played by Naomi Merlant, she has been asked to come and paint this beautiful woman named Eloise, um, played by Adele Haynell. Again, probably butchering names. I apologize. She's about to be married and she, she's notorious for refusing to sit for portraits. She doesn't, she's, she's kind of like the, you know, the 18th century equivalent of someone who doesn't like their photo taken or someone who doesn't like selfies or things like that. That's how you would kind of compare, I think, or relate somehow. She just, she refuses to sit for portraits. So basically what um, Marianne's job is, is to spend time with um, Eloise and get to know her, but also get to know her features, the way she carries herself, her profile, her everything, just so she can when she's not around, obviously, she, at night, like at night time, after they go for walks, she can then, uh, from memory, having studied her all day, can just paint the portrait without her knowing. Because I think it's her mother, Eloise's mother, is just like, we need this portrait to happen, but she she cannot know that's who you are and why you're here. So it's a kind of a it's a simple yet complicated story, I suppose, but. I, yeah, I absolutely adored it because it's just, I guess it's kind of a slow burn to them actually getting together um, and falling in love and realizing that they love each other. And, but the way it's done is just, it's really, it's just really refreshing. There's no pressure from either woman. Like the story is very isolated because it's literally just the two of them, uh, you know, very occasionally the mother will be there um for a scene or two and then they have there's a maid in the house in the, the on the house castle mansion property you know that comes and goes as well but it's mostly just marianne and eloise the whole time and it's just the way celine shema the way she um captures these women and says so much without any dialogue, just the way the camera, I just love the framing on so many of the shots in this, just 
it's a beautiful French coast that they've captured because um, they go for walks on the beach and where these cliffs are and everything and it's oh my goodness it's it's just aesthetically beautiful and I love the colors of the women's dresses like Eloise wears uh, green and um, Marianne she wears red and I just I don't know they're just really nice shades of 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 those colors and I think I, I'm pretty sure Eloise wears blue as well but in the portrait she wears green yeah but it's just I don't know it's just it's very very wonderful and the way the camera kind of focuses on these women's faces and the actresses playing them just do such a phenomenal job of just really showing showing their emotions on their face and, and their thought process on their face like through their eyes and the way they smile or don't smile or or look up look down like it's just all very intimate and and beautiful to watch the the love story too the biggest takeaway that I had about this love story was the fact that you could change the genders on these women and it doesn't matter this is a universal love story through and through it's the fact that they're two women it doesn't even matter at all it's just this this is the story that they like that Celine Shammer wants to tell is the story of these two women falling in love but it it could have been a, it could have been two men quite easily it could have been a man and a woman quite easily yeah it's it's just i don't know i just absolutely adored this film and you know i don't want to spoil the ending or anything but there's some heartbreaking moments and just and some intense passionate moments as well and i just i don't know i just i just fell in love with it yeah i yeah i i hope you're not if you're listening i hope you're not afraid of going to watch uh or have reservations of going to watch foreign films because you should definitely go see them because this is such a fantastic story a, yeah a film that i fell in love with just watching these two beautiful women and Oh my god, the way it, yeah, just the way it's shot, the way it's written, everything. I yeah, I really loved everything about this film and the the way that Nomi and Adele play Marianne and Eloise is just breathtaking and and funny. The movie is funny as well. There's little bits of humor, you know, but mostly it's just tragic because I mean, not to spoil it, but this is obvious, you know. <laughs> This is a little obvious just because of the time it was set. I mean, the the two women couldn't end up together because, you know, society was had not caught up with how human beings should just be allowed to love no matter what gender you are. Love is love is blind and love is love really. So, and, but you know, because it's the 18th century in France and they're all aristocratic kind of people, it's it was never going to going to happen. So Eloise is yeah, just has to be married off and it's yeah so i not to spoil the film but it's it that's not the point of the story the where it ends is not the point of it it's the the whole journey and they're they're it doesn't ruin the fact that they fell in love at all for me um and the finale of that film is just heart stopping i just yeah i loved it so that is my number nine pick uh a portrait of a lady on fire i yeah oh i can't see uh, enough about how great that film is. Okay, completely switching gears now for my number eight pick. It's uh, Mean Girls. Yeah, Mean Girls is my number eight. So uh, this is just awesome. An absolute classic film, probably one of the best teen 
uh, coming of age comedy uh, films that's ever been made, I think, uh, adapted from the book uh, Queen Bees and Wannabes by Rosalind Wiseman by the incredibly talented Tina Fey, uh, who wrote the screenplay. Like, she is awesome, and she's Miss Norberry in this film, one of the teachers, um, one of the main teachers in this. And I, yeah, Tina Fey is one of my favourite things about this film. I mean, there are so many things I love about Mean Girls, but Tina Fey is definitely one of them. Uh, Also, Lindsay Lohan. Say what you will about Lindsay Lohan. I don't care. I do not care. She's great in this film. And she was in a prime during this film and during you know the you know early 2000 early to mid 2000s that was Lindsay's territory she dominated the industry she was everywhere and this was the peak of that this film Mean Girls and it's it's aged so well like it's still like if they remade it today obviously things would change like you know because back then could you imagine Mean Girls uh (laughs) with social media as a thing like the burn book would be uh, like a, a Tumblr account, like a Tumblr page, like, or, um, you know, or a Twitter feed or something like it would be, or Instagram, any, yeah, it would be something like that instead of an actual book book, um, if they were to change it for now, but it's just still, it's aged well. And that's because like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, that this, this story is kind of universal. Like, you know, we've all been to high school. We all have, I mean, while this is, obviously you know an american high school and not every school in the con- in the country sorry not every school in the world is like an american high school but we go to these schools that have you know different versions of these cliques and different versions of popular girls the popular girls the queen bees you know um the plastics as they are in this film you know so we can there's that dichotomy you can relate to you know uh and Lindsay Lohan's Caddy Harron is is our window in. Um, you know, she's our the outsider coming in. She's the new student at the school, and she's you know she's trying to just trying to make friends. She ends up making some really cool friends, you know, with Janice and Damien, and then you know of course they decide to uh, <laughs> infiltrate the plastics and take advantage of the fact that Regina George, the queen bee herself, has an interest in in Katie. Um, and so they can sabotage her and their clique and bring them down, bring them back down to earth, take them off their pedestal. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's, it's a great film. I mean, most of, most of you listening have probably watched it. It's so much fun. It's yeah. I've, I've seen it probably like 20 times. I feel like (laughs) it's so cool. And I, I kind of like, you know, I think some people would maybe have issues with certain ways women are portrayed in this film, but I think it's just so diverse. Uh, Women are definitely at the forefront of this film, obviously. I mean, you know, pretty much the entire main cast is female. You know, throughout, from the the teachers to the students, all the different cliques, everybody, you know, there's so many kinds of different girls and women represented in Mean Girls, and it's, it's awesome. It's a really great film representation of like you know different races and different backgrounds and and different types of people I mean it probably doesn't do too well it hasn't aged well in terms of its queer stereotyping I don't think although I do love Damien so much and he's not entirely a caricature um or a stereotype he is a little bit but I don't think he's as bad as (sighs) he's not as bad as uh, as a lot of other um gay stereotypes have been in previous films 
up to, you know, 2004 when Mean Girls came out. But I, I, I really love Damien. I really do. I think he's hilarious. But, no, the, the women in this film are awesome. And Regina George is just such a great villain. She really is. Rachel McAdams absolutely nails her. That was probably the first film I think I'd seen Rachel McAdams in. Uh, it would have been Mean Girls. I'd never heard of her until then. That, I mean, that was one of her big break kind of films. It was like that, and then straight after was The Notebook, you know? Yeah, she's brilliant in this as Regina. So manipulative, so just... She knows she has power, and she knows how to use it uh, to her advantage. doesn't matter what it is, you know, whether it's making friends or, you know, or, or getting the guy, or just, just getting her way, basically, uh, and using people. Like, she's very autonomous, very powerful kind of woman. So... And her journey in the film is quite funny. <laughs> I love where she ends up. And i that's probably my favourite thing about Mean Girls, apart from all the very quotable lines that I could list off right now for you, but I won't because we'll be here, you know, for 100 minutes, how long the movie goes for. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, the, one of the great things about Mean Girls is the, as well as just the journey that they go on, like where they end up. I love how it's so different where all where all the women start, you know, at the beginning of the film to where they end uh, upon the film's conclusion is just so cool because it, it after you know after the burn book gets unleashed upon the masses in the high school and the girls go rabid essentially and they have that iconic uh, meeting in the gymnasium where they work everything out and push past it uh, all the bitter bitterness and all the issues. So by the end of the film, you know, there's. They're all just kind of get like the cliques have kind of almost disbanded, um, almost not all of them, but almost. Um, and you know, these women, these young women, are now just taking ownership of who they want to be. They're not trying to fit in to anyone. I mean, Gretchen is probably the only one who's still like she's she's just. She, I guess she just owns the fact that she needs to be a part of a clique in order to feel something or feel like she belongs or something. So she's just kind of. She's still kind of working on her issues, I think, and that maybe that's just maybe that's just who she is. She just likes to be a number two to someone. So, but everybody else just kind of does their own thing, and I just love the fact that Regina ends up, you know, playing um, lacrosse uh, and being this like not butchy, but you know, kind of tomboyish girl by the end of the film, and it's completely different to where she started. Like, I, I just adore that, and. And then Janice finally learns to be comfortable in her own skin and gets a boyfriend in Kevin. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's just, no, it's just so, it's so cool and so empowering. And I love the, yeah, I just love the representation of females in that film and how, you know, they can support each other just as much as they can tear each other down. Uh, and I love the way Mean Girl shows that. So that is my number eight pick, Mean Girls. All right, moving on to number seven, and I'm going to be talking about Captain Marvel. Yes! Okay, so here we have the MCU's first female-led film. I like this movie more than Wonder Woman, and I've said this on multiple occasions, just because I think I think it's a better story. I think it's less cliched. Its third act is definitely a lot better. And I kind of like... I don't know. It's It's... It's interesting uh, to to compare Diana and Carol Danvers. It's just, it's kind of interesting because you know they're they're the same 
they're very similar but yet different. I think their personalities are just a lot different, but they stand for the same things. You know, they they both want to protect the people that they care about and fight for what's right. And but I kind of love what they do with Carol Danvers in in Captain Marvel, and I just love watching her go from being, you know, kind of manipulated into thinking she's fighting the right fight, but then throughout her journey in the film, she discovers that she's been fed lies ever since she, uh, you know, joined up with the Kree. That, just that moment where she realises that she's been, been lied to, um, you know, that brilliant conversation where Talos actually, you know, tells her everything and what's actually true and the fact that the Skrulls are being attacked by the Kree. And this is a this is a very bad very bad war, but then there's a really great moment of just female empowerment where you know Carol's best friend Maria Rambo you know just just says you are Carol Danvers like she just gives this such just inspirational speech because Carol just feels lost because you know not only did she you know she had this life on Earth went into space after her memories were you know lost after the the accident and got when she got her powers um and then she's just been fed these lies and she can barely remember who she was before the accident happened and so she's she just cries out i don't even know who i am and then maria's like you are carol danvers and she just tells her exactly who she she knows who she is she just needs maria to kind of uh, remind her in such a really strong and powerful way. And I really love that scene. And their relationship throughout the film is really, really cool. Really great best friends, you know. And I kind of wanted more more of, of Maria, I think. Just, just, I don't know. I mean, she was clearly distraught by the fact that she thought Carol was dead. But I feel like they could have done maybe a bit more with that. I don't know. But, I, you know, I, I their friendship, though, is, is just wonderful and you know we should all be so lucky to have like really close really just in in, you know one step away from soulmate kind of best friends like you know that kind of um you know I mean a lot of people online theorize that the two of them could be actual an actual couple which would be pretty awesome if Marvel did that I just really I really like their dynamic and their their friendship and I I hope we get to see more of it in Captain Marvel 2 I guess that will depend on where Captain Marvel 2 is going to be based, if how, if it's going to be based like now, say post-Endgame, or if it's going to be based between the first Captain Marvel and, you know, the time she pops up in, by the time she pops up in Endgame. Yes, I was wrecking my brain then. I'm like, when did she first pop up again? But yes, so we'll find that out then. So hopefully we get some more Maria and Carol some more great scenes between them and kind of develop that relationship a bit more, that friendship. That would be really, really cool. I, yeah, I, but I just really love Carol Danvers just because she she's so fierce and she's so strong. And she's so powerful. And the fact that they, they've clearly gone out of their way, the MCU have, to establish her as probably the most powerful being in the entire MCU... Uh, you know, we watch her in Endgame and she can fight, you know, it's basically like her and Scarlet Witch are the only two that can kind of go toe-to-toe with Thanos and live to tell the tale to the point where, you know, both of them actually overpower him at at two at two separate points in the movie and it's freaking awesome. But yeah, I just, I don't know, I really, I really like Carol and her badass 
nature. Like, she's not as... I don't think she's as... Like, she's a good person, but she doesn't have the same kind of altruism that Diana kind of carries. Like, Diana is so much more like Steve Rogers than Carol Danvers is, I think. But, But Carol is just... She's just awesome and badass and funny. Like, I love... Like, the little cute moments of, like, celebration she has, like, when she get like, she finally gets the restraints off her hands and she can use her hands again. She, like, claps together in glee and it's so funny. And I really love how she, you know, sticks it to that man who's, like, give us a smile. And she, like, really, you know, hurts him just, but not properly hurt him just to, you know, to make the point. No, she's awesome. She's great. And the movie is just so good too and the way it represents her and the soundtrack is is just phenomenal. It's 90s female like artists. You know, you've got No Doubt, you've got Garbage, Hole, TLC. Like there's so many cool like there's there's a couple I'm forgetting, but like there's so many cool um songs used in that film that really kind of help to sum up Carol's whole vibe and I just I don't know I just really adore how badass she is that's I'm just gonna keep saying that because I just I I absolutely love that and how cool she is and um I'm really looking forward to seeing more of her so that is my number seven pick that is Captain Marvel and now we're gonna move on to number six and my number six film is uh an incredible movie that I haven't watched in a while um but I I adore it so much and that is Girl Interrupted so this film is based on a true story. The character Winona Ryder plays Susanna Kaysen. She was actually a uh, you know a patient committed to a mental hospital in the late 1960s, and she wrote a book about her experiences, and that's um, how this film came to be. So the film is based on that book. This is just a phenomenal cast of women. That's like I just love I love this film just for the different women we get to see in it. And it's such an interesting kind of showcase of mental illness, I think. It's kind of, it, it feels kind of progressive in some ways and regressive in others for, for a film made in 1999, 2000. But it's, because cause like Winona Ryder's character, Susanna, so Susanna just, she, she, she attempts to kill herself or hurt herself or, you know, um, endangers her life and uh, hence the getting committed. But she kind of just... She doesn't, her symptoms aren't exaggerated, you know, they're not like, she's not obviously, I, I want to kill myself, I want to end everything, she's not super depressed, she's not super anything, she's just kind of, she's just kind of meh about life, and that is something that I think a lot of people can relate to, so, uh, you know, and that kind of explains why the book was successful, and the film thusly successful as well, like, uh, just because she's just such a kind of normal person there's not really anything too you know I don't want to say upsetting about her but she's just not there's nothing extraordinary there's nothing over the top about Susanna Kaysen she's just she's just a girl she's just a woman who's just living life and was feeling shitty one day and decided to do something and and then just kind of immediately didn't regret it but just but maybe regretted it just because like it caused such a fuss and her mum got so mad at her and you know, and she got committed to a mental hospital. Um, you know, that's never a fun time for anybody, uh, depending on, depending on, I mean, maybe back in the 60s, probably not a fun time, but today, not so bad. Um, yes, so, yeah, but I, I really do adore Winona Ryder's performance in this film, the way she plays 
those facets of Susanna's mental illness and just her as a person. Uh, it's just really, really excellent. Um, Angelina Jolie, however, steals the show in Girl Interrupted as Lisa. She's like, she's the Regina George <laughs> of this hospital, if you want to compare. Uh, you know, if you've seen Mean Girls and Not Girl Interrupted, maybe that's a good way to compare the two. <sighs> so basically, uh, yeah, Lisa is just, she's the queen bee. She's the, she's the most intense person in this film. And the most manipulative, the most controlling. She knows how the system works. She knows how to use it to her advantage. She knows how to make friends and, 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 you know, but then, you know, because she has a you know, a mental illness, because she has a mental illness, it gets in the way in certain times where she just, it, it takes over and, and she goes all manic and makes really poor decisions like breaking out of the hospital and, and many other things. The climax of the film is very, yeah, intense. Uh, yeah, but I, I loved the way Angelina plays Lisa, you know, because she's a, she's a person who you want to love her or you want, sorry, I should say, you want Lisa to love you. She's that kind of person. Like, she's so fascinating and just all eyes, she walks into a room, all eyes are on her. And the way Angelina performs her is just is just so cool and so captivating and so charming yet so sad and tragic at the same time because yes Lisa is the queen of this film but she's the queen of a mental institution like she's she's just she's peaked in life and this is where she is and she mostly has good days and where she you know enjoys herself and does whatever she wants but then, you know, there are a lot of bad days where it just... And especially at the end of the film where her story ends. Yeah, it's very... It's just very sad because, you know, Susanna gets out at the end. Uh, obviously, so she ends up writing the book. I don't know. I just... I really love... I really love them. Um, Whoopi Goldberg, as well as Valerie in this, is really good. I, they didn't really go too much... I mean, they, I think they do a little bit from memory, but they don't really go too much into the... Um, uh, the civil rights, uh, any kind of racism at the time, because this is the 60s and, you know, Whoopi Goldberg being a very, very proud and strong African-American woman um, who we all adore. They don't really talk too much about that, but I think there is a couple of scenes where it gets brought up and um, and that's that's really good though, because you don't, you know, it, that's not the story that they're telling. That's not, it's this isn't Valerie's story. Um, this is you know, this is Susanna's story. But regardless, that was another thing I just I just remembered. There's a great scene where Susanna's been influenced by Lisa so much that she starts to take on her persona and thinks she can do what she wants. And yeah, that's when the racism happens. Yeah, that's right. It's a scene where Valerie's trying to bathe, bathe or she's observing um, Susanna, like keeping an eye on her while she's in the bath. And then Susanna starts making fun of her. And it's really hard to watch. And I love the way that Valerie takes no shit, no shit from her whatsoever. Sees her for who she is and says, nah, screw this and screw you. Uh, yeah, it's it's really, really great. A really great scene. Um, but I adore, yeah. I mean, I'll watch Whoopi Goldberg in anything. She's she's phenomenal. She, and she's quite good in this. Yeah, the whole cast, like, it's just, it's an incredible cast. Like, there's also Vanessa Redgrave, Elizabeth Moss, Brittany Murphy, um, Claire Duvall. Like, there's just so many 
incredibly talented women in this movie. So many of them. Brittany Murphy's character Daisy probably has like the most tragic storyline, I guess, because you know her story doesn't really end very well, and it it still makes me cry. Every there's a certain song. I'm not going to spoil too much. I mean, the movie's 20 years old, but it's fine. There's a certain song that gets played in the film, and every time I hear it now, I just start getting emotional. <laughs> from a certain scene that it's in. Um, Elizabeth Moss's character, Polly. You wouldn't recognize Elizabeth Moss in this movie. I mean, A, it's one of her earliest roles, and B, she plays a burn victim, you know, who she set herself on fire due to, you know, the mental illness that she has. Yeah, she ended up setting herself on fire, and uh, it's... Or her parents set her on fire. It's one one of the two. But regardless... Yeah, it's really, really sad. I don't know, I just love... I love all the women in this movie and just the fact that I think... I don't know, I really like Susanna and Lisa. Like, they're the two the strong, the two strong leads of this film and I, I adore their performances from Winona and Angelina. They're so great. And, and I like the fact that Susanna decides... Like, you know, she has a guy who is really into her um, and wants her to, you know run away to Canada with him. Um, but she she decides she doesn't want to. And, I, you know, it's it's nice that she she made that decision. She felt that she didn't have to go with him because she should, A, not be in a mental institution or, B, you know, should settle that maybe settle down with this guy who, you know, maybe they could have a future together. But she just kind of decides, no, I'm going to be here. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to look after myself and and not let you take care of me you know, for me. I'm going to do it myself. So she tells him to, you know, that she's going to stay. So, I, yeah, that's really, really cool. I really like that. So, yeah, I think that's all I will say. Uh, Girl Interrupted, a phenomenal film. Definitely worth your time. Absolutely. All right, number five is Crimson Peak. Yes, there was no way I was going to do this list and not talk about Crimson Peak, even though I've, you know, talked about it before. I love Crimson Peak so much. It is it is one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, one of my favorite directors ever. And there are a few people that tell gothic stories of horror and and romance like the way he does, especially in this film. Just I really adore him. Um, he's one of my favorite directors. And yeah, this film is beautiful. It's so beautiful, and it's such a great representation of again of women just because the main i mean i feel like the main reason not only the fact that you have you know two incredibly strong female characters in um edith cushing played by mia wasikowska and lucille sharp played by uh, jessica chastain who both give incredible performances especially jessica especially jessica cannot say enough about how great she is as lucille but the the really important thing about this film is that there is a there is a sex scene in the film because this is a gothic romance and you know between it's between um Edith and and Sir Thomas Sharp played by Tom Hiddleston one of my all-time favorites in case you don't know and it's a really it's a really powerful scene like sex scene because Edith is in control the whole pretty much the whole time or she she assumes control like it's all about her her body is not shown in any kind of objectifying way. Her dress stays on 
Sir Thomas maneuvers around the dress. <laughs> they don't need to, you know, for the cameras, they don't need to show any kind of nudity on the on the female's part. And they've decided to switch that focus, the objectification onto the man, which is something that doesn't usually happen in, a, you know, a lot of romantic or horror films. Like, it's always the girl who is sexualized. But in this instance, they've sexualized Sir Thomas Sharp. And I'm going to just be guilty and say, yes, I objectified him <laughs> because I love him so much and he's gorgeous. But, you know, we don't, there's, there's a little bit of male nudity in this, you know, we get to, we get to see Hiddle's bum. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. But it's, and it's, it's, it's a really powerful, powerful scene just because of the way they chose to, you know, put the objectification on the man in the scene and not on the woman. And then, you know, the scene, I guess, for lack of a better term, I'm just going to say it, the climax of the scene shows Edith on top and in, in charge and, you know, controlling the, yeah. <laughs> Can't believe I'm discussing a sex scene in a podcast. Well, here we are, people. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just, it's, it's just, it speaks volumes. And then the, the you know, the kind of juxtaposition of Edith and Lucille as, you know, the the heroine and the, the villain of the piece, you know, and the fact that they're both incredibly powerful in their own ways. You know, Edith is, she's you know, well, a well-off woman, you know, due to her, her family and her father, and but she's trying to make her own living as a writer. She loves to write, and she loves to write stories with ghosts in them. Like, you know, she's very kind of a Mary Shelley-esque kind of character and I really like that about her she's and she's very well spoken very very well mannered but fiercely you know independent and yeah I just I know I just really really adore her and then you have on the other the other side of the coin is Lucille Sharp and she's the same as Edith she's she's her own woman she she controls everything in the 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 sibling relationship with her and Thomas. Sir Thomas, that you know, she's in charge. The the facade they put onto the outside world is that Sir Thomas is in charge when in actuality it's Lucille that's calling the shots. And yeah, she's just she's fierce and strong and just crazy. She's unhinged. She's absolutely absolutely bonkers. She is a mental mental woman um, <laughs> who just yeah, they had a really bad childhood, Lucille and Sir Thomas. They had a very bad childhood, and it shows um, <laughs> throughout the film. But I just really adore the fact that it comes down to the two of them facing off. Like, the climax of the film is, you know, is, is Lucille trying to kill Edith. Spoilers. It, the movie's five years old. It's okay. Yeah, I just, you know, those two being... Diff, you know, because Edith is represented in the film constantly as, as like a butterfly, like a beautiful butterfly, basically. And then uh, Lucille is the opposite. She's the moth. She's just this kind of dark and dingy and uh, malevolent presence. So they're very much the antith antithesis of each other. And uh, it's it's really, really cool. And who doesn't love a gothic romance? The the film is gorgeous and the costumes are gorgeous. And yeah, I could go on and on and on and on and on and on, and on about it. I love it so much. But that is, I think, all I really want to say about Crimson Peak. So 
there you have it, Crimson Peak, my number five pick for my list of female-led films. Number four is Aliens. Yes, I had to do a an Ellen Ripley film for this list, given that so many reasons, I mean, mostly Sigourney Weaver and... Secondly, because Ellen Ripley is such an influential character in pop culture and we wouldn't have Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman like in terms of their their ability to be on film in that blockbuster way. We wouldn't have that without Ellen Ripley. She's just incredible. She's absolutely remarkable. And, you know, one the original, like, it's like her and... I've said this many times, but it's, it's it's her and Carrie Fisher's Princess Leia that really kind of were at the forefront of these badass kind of women in, you know, in, in popular culture and in these genre films, these sci-fi films, especially in, in kind of positions of power and the ability to to save the day, essentially, or be a big part of saving the day. And I think Ellen Ripley is just so great and the power they give her in in aliens is awesome i mean they you know they set her up as the final girl basically of alien and she is but she you know she makes it out alive because of you know she trusts her gut she and her her knowledge her training her strength gets her through and you know sees her triumph over the xenomorph on the on the nostromo in the original alien film and then here we have her coming back in aliens and and she's just <laughs> she's even more badass like she's been in cryo sleep for like 57 years at this point and you know she she, she she's refusing to I mean at first it's it's heartbreaking to watch because she's refusing to go back you know because they've set up a colony on LV426 you know, of, you know, people, you know, trying to, you know, convert it into a, 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 ha- a habitable world, you know, because they didn't realise that the that's where the xenomorphs are. We see Ripley struggling so much with post-traumatic stress following the events of the first Alien film because she's just so completely traumatised by what happened. And then there's the fact that nobody wants to believe her that there are any creatures, but as soon as some, they get by, they find out that something may have happened, then they're all like, well, I guess we better ask Ripley to come back and save the day. And I just, you know, I'm sure she got some satisfaction in the, vindic- in the vindication of knowing that she was right and that they're, and they're idiots, but at the same time, I don't think she really cared because she was just like, I'm not going back there. No, no way. I can't do it. No. No, no, you wouldn't in a million years put me back in an environment where those things are near me. But because she's Ellen Ripley and because she's badass, she realizes she has to do the right thing, be the hero, and try and go and save as many people as they can because they're going to send a team with, with or without her and the team will have better chance of surviving if she's with them. So she decides to go. I love, yeah, I love the fact that she doesn't have to be convinced by anyone. She just makes the decision for herself. And I think it's because she wants to face her nightmares and make them stop if she can. She's just fantastic. And I love the relationship between Carrie Hens, Newt, and her, you know, because we find out at the start of Aliens that Ripley's daughter grew up and passed away. And because her mum was in deep space for so long, you know, she completely missed her her whole life and it's so sad it's so sad and oh yeah I it's so heartbreaking so I love the fact that they expand on 
this motherly instinct that is established with Ripley. Because we didn't even know she was a mum in the first Alien film. There was nothing nothing too much about her character other than she was second in command, you know, on the Nostromo. But in this film, we get more of an insight into who she is as a person. And she has these motherly instincts that are just so good. And the way she takes to Newt and cares for Newt um, and the way Newt takes to her in response is just beautiful to watch. And, and just gorgeous, one of the best kind of mother-daughter-like relationships depicted in film and definitely depicted in sci-fi film, that's for sure. <laughs> it's so awesome. And the fact that we get we get the epic conclusion to the film, the, the climax, is, is due to that relationship because, you know, the xenomorphs get Newt and, you know, take her down to the nest so she can be used to make more xenomorphs. Which is not great. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so then we get that epic, you know, scene of Ripley suiting up with all the guns, all the different weapons, all the ammo, and, the you know, the flamethrowers and the whole get away from her, you bitch. And the fact that the film is, it's a climax of, you know, of this whole thing, and it's one mother against another because it's Ripley versus the queen of the alien, like, of the queen of the xenomorphs. And they're fighting against each other, and they're both just trying to do... You know, because the xenomorphs are all, you know, either, they're all about furthering their race and procreating as often as possible to create more of them. And so they'll do anything in their power to protect that and to protect their race, protect their family. Uh, and then on the other hand, you know, you have Ripley who's just trying to survive and also trying to protect her family because of the bond that has now formed between her and Newt. She's like, nope, I'm not leaving this girl behind. There is no way. She's been a, she's been abandoned once, technically, I guess, while she, you know, was the only survivor of the entire colony. But she's like, I'm not, I'm not leaving her. <clears throat> no. Like, she can clearly survive on her own. She found a way. But that won't last for long. So, oh, and the fact that the whole place is about to explode as well in a gigantic nuclear explosion. There's also that. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, yeah, regardless, so it comes down to these two mothers essentially fighting each other to survive at the end of the film. And it's so badass and so empowering and, and you know, and, and, and I love the fact that they don't try, like, James Cameron is so good at portraying badass women, like with Ripley here in Aliens, and then, you know, obviously Sarah Connor, Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor in Terminator 2 especially. T2. There is no kind of glamorization of these women. There is no sexualization of them. They are independent. They are autonomous. They are themselves. And they are fierce and wonderful and powerful. And they kick ass and they don't need, you know, they don't need any kind of, any, I guess, like, I'm just going to say, they don't need any men to do any of this for them. They can, they can do it all themselves. It's just, it's phenomenal. And I love Ripley so much for that because she just really shows with perseverance persistence and strength and courage you can be just as powerful if not more powerful than the men um, that are around you especially because she has this whole military force behind her these you know naval uh naval officers and lieutenants and and sergeants and everything kind of you know she's gone with to LV426 and uh, she, you know, she's, again, one of the last to stand out of all of them. And she, yeah, she's she's kick-ass. She's awesome. She's so good. Uh, I do want to give a on- quick honourable mention to Vasquez 
because Vasquez is amazing, played by Jeanette Goldstein, one of James Cameron's uh, frequent actresses he uses. I love Vasquez so much. <laughs> She's so badass, and I love the banter between her and Mark Ralston's Drake. They make me laugh so much. I just love that scene where he's like, hey, Vasquez, you ever get mistaken for a man? And then she's like, no, do you? <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's so good. Anyway, so that is my number four pick, Aliens. Yes. All right. We're getting into the top three now, guys. Top three of my top ten female-led films. And my number three pick is probably my favorite rom-com of all time. And that is Imagine Me and You. Holy crap. This this is an awesome film. It's such an awesome film. More people need to know about this movie. And that's another reason why I wanted to mention it and why it rates so high on my list. Because it resonated so much with me um, growing up. And it's such a great story. It's so funny. It's such a great ending. It's so wholesome. It's just It's just a beautiful film. And I'm just shocked that you know, more people aren't aware of the film because it's, it's really, really good. So basically it's, this, uh, it's a story of two women falling in love, except one of them just got married to a man. <laughs> yeah, basically the, the bride and the florist at the wedding meet and connect. Um, so the bride is Rachel, played by Piper Perabo from Coyote Ugly fame and COVID affairs. She's awesome. And then the florist is, her name is Luce, and she's played by Alina Heaney, Cersei Lannister herself, uh, in one of her earlier roles. And uh, they just instantly struck up a connection, uh, in, just instantly, at the after barely any... Like, I mean, they make eye contact at each other from across the room as she's walking down the aisle and that's it. It's over. Like, it's, it's, it's so good. And it's, it's funny considering Rachel is getting married to Heck, who is played by Matthew Good. And I'm like, how could you ever stand up Matthew Good like that? How could you do Matthew Good dirty? He is amazing. He's fine. He is very, very fine. But that aside, the chemistry that Piper and Lena have with each other in this film is just astronomical, astronomical chemistry, people. It is insane. They are so good together on screen. It just, my heart sings every time I watch the film. It really does. It's such a beautiful and honest and humble and earnest love story, you know, of the two of them getting together and trying to fight the feelings that they have for each other, especially because up until this point, Rachel had only ever dated men. So I found some personal relation in in that, um, you know, just meeting, you meet one woman and then your your life changes, your perspective changes, you, you're, you change on a, like a biological level almost. You just kind of realize, oh, okay. You know, it doesn't really matter what the what the gender of the person is. Just all that matters is that I like them and they like me back, you know. Love is love, as I said earlier. And, you know, it's just so... It's so nice that Rachel doesn't... She doesn't question. She just knows that it feels right. It feels right to, to be with Luce and that she feels more alive when she's with her and she's happier when she's with her. But she still loves Heck and... And the great thing about this movie, it's a very feminist film in the way that it portrays 
you know, the fallout of this relationship because of because of Rachel and Luce getting together. Automatically, in in films like this, when you know a, a love triangle's happening or there's an, a third party gets introduced into a couple and you know shit hits the fan, the like you know if if the if the person in the couple leaves leaves the couple for another person it's the other per like the remain the remainder of the couple who didn't do anything wrong sometimes they can be painted as the bad guy just because they're, they're usually not the protagonist of the piece I mean sometimes they are but in this case heck is not the protagonist of the story that's Rachel and generally you know he's painted as the you know it, it, I can't find the right word he's just not you know he's not a good he's not typically not not a good person like he reacts badly to the situation in the film he does have his moments where he just he he gets like when he initially finds out about what's happened he's very upset obviously and heartbroken very heartbroken and it's very sad to watch but the way the film ends with just him him moving on and finding another woman and everything's fine like even looks at the camera at the end and kind of has a chuckle the film doesn't doesn't make the man the bad guy and doesn't make the women the bad guys either. There is no... This is just something that's happened, that the these two people have found each other, just happened to be at this time right after she got married, and they've just had an undeniable connection that can't be explained, can't be stopped, and unfortunately there's collateral damage in that, but it hasn't... It hasn't revealed any one party in this film to be awful people. None of them are awful people and none of them do awful things. I mean, yes, Rachel probably, you know, the whole cheating thing is, you know, I don't condone that. It's not something that should be uh, condoned, obviously. But, you know, she's 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 not going to fight against these feelings. But she has no ill intent. She doesn't want to hurt Heck. She still loves Heck. Part of her still does. And... I just, I don't know, I just really love the fact that there are no villains in this film. There, it's, it's just everybody, everybody's good and just human. These are very good representations of what it's like to be human, where, you know, feelings are involved and all of that. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, I just love it. And it's such a beautiful love story. You know, you never know when you're going to meet the right person and then it just happens to be at your own wedding and it's not the, the person you're marrying. You know, who would have thought? Like, but no, I just, I love this film. And it's a beautiful British film too. Like if you're a fan of British uh, comedy or, or British rom-coms especially, uh, you will love this movie. It is it is wonderful. Also because Anthony Head plays Rachel's dad. Um, so it was nice to see Giles pop up in this one. Yeah, it's 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 so it's so good. It's so good. I love it so much. It's such a beautiful love story, a beautiful human story, beautiful feminist story, and yeah, one that everybody should see. Everybody should watch. Imagine me and you guys. That's my number three pick. Now do yourselves a favor and go watch it. All right, <laughs> please, because it's it deserves so much love. It really does. Okay, my number two pick now, number two, and it's another one of my absolute all-time favorite films, and that is A League of Their Own. Holy crap. Okay, so this is directed by Penny Marshall, the late, great Penny Marshall, one of Hollywood's most pioneering female directors and filmmakers and actresses as well, based on a story by Kim Wilson and Kelly Kendale, just 
you know, females everywhere. Love it. And it's based on, I guess, I don't always say inspired by, it's not all based on true events, but, you know, it is inspired by true events of the, the um, female, the old woman, the Women's American League of Baseball, you know, <clears throat> that happened during the wartime in the 40s after Ameri- the American uh, nation joined World War Two. And all of the baseball players were drafted, so there was no baseball, and they were like, well, we need some entertainment back home, so let's ask the women to step up. Because uh, there are already women leagues, but, you know, nobody kind of... They, there was no spotlight on them, no focus. And here this film really shows that and then shows how their baseball league came to fruition uh, and to prominence and, and how awesome these women are. And when you've got a cast that's led... By Gina Davis, Laurie Petty, Madonna, uh, and Rosie O'Donnell. You're in good company. You're in good hands. And of course, I would be quite remiss, even though I'm talking about the women in this film, I cannot go without mentioning the legendary Tom Hanks as Jimmy Dugan, the coach uh, of the Rockford Peaches in this movie. Yeah, just super cool. I love him in this. I love all of them in this. I love the fact that, oh God, these women are just so... They were against the grain because, like, this is the 40s, right? The women is the housewife. The women is the stay-at-home mum. The women doesn't the wom- woman doesn't go out and and uh, you know she's not the breadwinner. She doesn't do anything that the men are supposed to do, uh, especially in yeah in the 40s. That's not how this works. But these women are all kind of contradicting that 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 status quo. They're challenging the status quo of the time by uh, you know being these women who are working for themselves or and then they're you know they're playing baseball which is traditionally seen as a a man's sport and that you know women shouldn't be really you know shouldn't be doing this they bought leave it to the men leave it to the boys you know that kind of conversation that's stupid if you ask me and they're being awesome they're kick-ass like gina davis plays dotty hinson and she is like the the mvp of the entire league she is like She's just incredible. She's she's the best catcher from any team that they've got. And she's so in control and so, so wonderful. <sighs> just, I don't know. Yeah, she's great. And she's married. She has a husband, you know, and he's gone off to war, played by Bill Pullman. Bless. Love Bill Pullman. But Dottie doesn't, you know, doesn't let... She doesn't let the fact that, you know, her husband could die kind of, she doesn't become like a woe is me damsel. Like, how am I going to carry on without my, my doting husband to take care of me? She takes care of herself and it is awesome to watch. And, you know, her kid's sister, Kit, uh, appropriately named, played by Laurie Petty, awesomely, you know, gets, she's talented as well. She's a pitcher. She's just like, well, if you're going, I'm going to join the league, you know, because Dottie doesn't want to do it. Kit wants to, but they... They, you know, they want, um, John Lovitz plays the recruiter and, you know, he wants Dottie, uh, and he doesn't want Kit, even though Kit's also really good, but Dottie's the golden child of the family. So yeah, Dottie has to be convinced to even go and join. And, and there's a, there's a kind of a, a very relatable, uh, sibling rivalry between Dottie and Kit, you know, and you see it from the start of the film, like, just Dottie's so in control and so sure of herself, confident, but not egotistical. She's very humble. She's a, you know, she's a great role model, essentially. And she's, she, she seems to have everything figured out. And Kit, on the other hand, is, she's a bit more of a firecracker. She's a bit more out there, uncontrollable. 
chaotic. Uh, she's kind of like the opposite. So it's it's such an interesting sibling relationship, and it's one that a lot of us can relate to. You know, not growing not not growing up well with with siblings. Like if you you have any, I mean, we all we all fight with our siblings. You know, <laughs> especially yeah, especially in those you know development years, those uh, adolescent years, growing up. And into adulthood, you know, you're there's going to be conflict, and there is conflict in this movie. But it's it's really really great. I really love watching it. I I've seen it so many times. I I adore it, and it's probably my favorite thing I've seen Madonna in as well. I mean, I haven't seen all of Madonna's films, but the ones I have seen, this has got to be my favorite. I just love May, uh, all the way May. Um, she's so good. Uh, she's kind of the one that's because Madonna, of course, she's the one that's objectified, sexualized, all of that. Like a couple of other women are. Like and then again, all the women are in, in terms of the fact that the the men who run this women's league want them all to wear skirts, uh, and they're all like, "Well, we got to wear pants because how the hell are we going to slide for home run, slide slide for home base in this thing, or slide in general on anything on the field in a skirt without you know taking off a layer of skin." And they even show you that in the film. Like, they, there's this one girl goes in for this this slide that happens to be particularly nasty, and her leg is just left all reddened and bloodied uh, from its the the burn uh, contact with with the ground. And it's yeah, it's it you wince, oh you wince. But May, yeah, uh, Madonna's May is very much the like. She's the flirtatious one. She's the the naughty one of the whole team. And I love that the relationship. Um, that she has with Rosie O'Donnell's character, um, Doris Murphy. She's awesome. Um, their little friendship and banter that they have is it always kind of makes me laugh. They're very, very funny together in the movie. I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, no, it's a really, it's a really wonderful film and it's really great to see women in the, in this kind of, you know, these kind of roles, I suppose. Like at the, this was, this film came out in the early nineties. They hadn't ever really made a film like this before uh, with just sh- kind of showing women in this light. And I love the way that Penny Marshall was able to tell the story and the, you know, the, the women that wrote the story for the film, like just told it expertly well. And it's so inspirational. I love how inspirational it is. It's so uplifting. It's so empowering and kind of just makes you go, makes you realize uh, you know women can do anything that men can you know if not better like you know Dottie Hinson is for example she's like one of the ones that would could give you know give some of the the, the male players a run for their money um, um, along with a couple other players featured in the film like it's yeah it's really really great it's it's a super awesome film I love it that is A League of Their Own my number two pick all right, so it's time for some honorable mentions now, and I'm going to go through them pretty quickly, I think, because they're honorable mentions. They don't deserve five to ten minutes, sadly, not in this list, but um, I do love them nonetheless. I will preface that by saying I do adore them as well. Um, so my first honorable mention is Lady Bird, uh, written and directed by Greta Gerwig, one of the most talented and awesome female filmmakers that's uh, kind of come into prominence in the last five years she's excellent and this film is just one of the best portrayals of a mother-daughter relationship I've ever seen on screen and so relatable because you know I 
uh, all, all honesty, growing up, did not get along with my mum very well. And, you know, it's very sad, but you know, we're, we're fine now, so it's okay. But, yeah, I, I related so hardcore to this story, especially because it was set in the early 2000s and I was in high school in the early 2000s. So the whole thing was just, it hit, it hit me right, you know, to my core, really. It really did. It broke my heart quite a bit as well. Their relationship is just so hard to watch. But it's the centre of this film. It's the focal point of this film and this story. And it's told expertly well. And Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf, who play <coughs> Lady Bird and Marion, um, Lady Bird's mum, respectively, they're just so, so powerful and so talented and so awesome. And I really loved the film. It was really, really good. So my first honourable mention is Lady Bird. Second honourable mention is The Help. Oh, The Help. Yep, this is a great movie. Another phenomenal female ensemble cast led by Emma Stone, Viola Davis, Octavia Spencer, and Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, It's so good. I think this is based on a true story, or it's based on a book at least. Um, Yes, I'm pretty sure it's based on a book. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's so, so great. You know the the commentary of the the civil rights movement at the time, and the fact that you know these incredible African American women, these incredible Black women, were you know still kind of forced to only the only work they could find were, were as maids for rich white families, and it's you know it's it's stupid and it, it's awful that that's all that they those women you know either felt that they were worth or that you know the white upper class was telling them that's what they're worth. It's awful, but. They, you know, they take, they take pride in what they do and they form these loving relationships with the, the children that they help raise because a lot of these, you know, white parents are, they're out, they're off to their country clubs, they're off doing God knows what socializing and they're off at work and, and so the, the maids are kind of left to raise the kids so they form this kind of mother, mother to child bond almost with some of them, particularly, um, Viola Davis's Abilene Clark um, with uh, Hilly Holbrook's kids, I think it is. I'm pretty sure they're her kids. Maybe it's one of the others. I've forgotten. It's been a while since I've seen it. But anyway, she has she forms a really strong bond with one of the, the daughters, and it's, it's it's heartbreaking to watch in some scenes, but really sweet and endearing in others. Um, and Emma Stone as Skeeter Phelan is is great. Um, I love how quirky she is, and I love the fact that. As a white woman, she's acknowledging her race, yet at the same time, she's acknowledging that she does not have the same, I like the same kind of opinions uh, that her counterparts do. Um, she is not racist. She is inclusive, and she is trying. She's using the power she knows she has to to be, you know, the the messenger for these incredible black women. So she, you know, writes this book about their experiences as as the maids and they be- it becomes widely successful and and it's awesome and then there's a really really great scene with a pie that uh has got to be one of the best things octavia spencer has ever done and it's brilliant so that is my number two honorable mention the help i love it speaking of octavia octavia spencer uh we're going to move into hidden figures for my next honorable mention now this is based on a true story and as a space nerd i was more than happy to include this on my list somewhere. I mean, I wanted it in top 10, but it unfortunately found its way into the honorable mentions. However, I couldn't go without mentioning it uh, in any capacity because it's awesome. So it's based on a true story. Uh, Three of these women who were uh, heavily involved 
and responsible for ensuring that U.S. astronaut John Glenn would successfully be the first um, American man, or the fir- I think he's the first American man to orbit the Earth. Yeah, or the first American man in space. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's awesome. And, you know, uh, Taraji P. Henson plays Katherine Johnson, who passed away recently, which is really, really sad, but um, she lived an incredible life, and there are so many things we have to thank her thank thank her for like you know just the advance advancements in computer technology alone and programming just just insane you know so the the film is it's a very good film i mean it's based on the book by margot lee shetterly uh co-written by alison schroeder uh with director theodore melfi it's yeah it's good it's it is really good it does have the kind of hollywood sheen and gloss over it maybe that's why i couldn't include it in my my actual list and my 10 because it is kind of trying to like kevin Costner is in it and he's awesome he's great and everything but there's certain scenes that kind of make him try to be like the white hero of the story but that's not really what i i'm concerned with i'm just concerned with how great taraji p henson octavia spencer and janelle monet are as these three incredible NASA employees that helped to get John Glenn into space. Like, it's it's just so great. It's such an awesome and empowering film. Again, another great example of women who can change history and women who can do anything uh, they set their minds to. Um, and even, you know, even if it, that is to propel a man further into space. But, you know, that's not the point. It's The point is that, that these... These women are, are incredibly intelligent and can be successful and were successful. So Hidden Figures is an amazing film. I highly recommend everybody checking it out. My next oral mention is Bridesmaids. Yes, Bridesmaids. One of my favorite comedies of all time. Just a brilliant female ensemble cast led by Kristen Wiig, who also wrote the or co-wrote the... Um, screenplay of the film with Annie Mamolo. Just just an awesome story, so funny. It's, it's literally kind of like I used to describe it to people as the ha- like the female version of the hangover. Uh it's kind of what it is. Like, you know, these women from all different kind of walks of life brought together to be bridesmaids for a mutual friend who's um <clears throat> Kristen Wiig's best friend from like school, but played by Maya Rud- Rudolph. They've been friends for years and years and um, and then, you know, Maya Rudolph's character meets Rose Byrne's character, who's like, they haven't been, they haven't been, been friends for, for long, but Rose Byrne's character is like hugely rich and very arrogant and likes showing off the fact that she's successful and has money and all of this stuff. <laughs> and, and there's a, a just a, a lovely kind of rivalry between Kristen Wiig's Annie and Rose Byrne's character. And it's, it's so funny. It's so hilarious. The film has nothing to do... Like, the wedding is right at the end, and it's inconsequential because it's the story of these bridesmaids and the chaos that unfolds in preparation to this wedding. And, yeah, it's just it's just awesome. I really adore Bridesmaids. It's so much fun. It's so funny. Highly recommend checking that out. And my last honourable mention is uh, The Hunger Games. I had to mention this. Because Katniss Everdeen, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the, you know, precursors, I suppose, to the superhero genre opening up the female-led market, uh, finally. We, you know, if, if The Hunger Games wasn't so successful, who knows if they would have even 
done that, you know, and then we wouldn't have had Katniss Everdeen if not for, you know, people like Errol and Rip- Ripley or Sarah Connor. Like, they're all kind of connected. It's great. Oh, yes. But, um, no, The Hunger Games are amazing. Uh, like, the book, as in the book series, is amazing. I love the books. Suzanne Collins wrote all three books, and she also co-wrote the screenplay with Gary Ross, the director of the film, and Billy Ray, one of the other writers. And, um, yeah, it's it's so great. And Jennifer Lawrence, this is her big, kind of big break film that she had back in 2012, and put her, like, really, like, she was already up and coming, but this one put her on the map and kind of cemented her as uh, as one of the most powerful women in Hollywood at that time. She's awesome. I love Jennifer Lawrence so much. And she's so great as Katniss, and I love... Katniss as a character, she's kind of a flawed heroine. She's not a perfect woman because she doesn't want to be like she's she's not like your your Carol Danvers or your Diana of Themyscira. She is, you know, she doesn't want to be in the spotlight. She hates being in the spotlight. She doesn't want to be the hero. The only reason she even got involved in the Hunger Games is because she wanted to save her sister. That's it. Kind of comes down to the bare basics with with Katniss Everdeen, you know, and then she ends up becoming this unwitting face of the, you know, the rebellion against uh, the capital and the kind of spearhead of this movement to change the way uh, uh, that Pan Am is run, the way it's it's all structured and, and it's very classist and very segregated and awful, you know, especially because they're, you know, every year they force these kids to fight to the death. Um, yeah, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> but it's very, they're very well, well-written books and very well-written films, and especially the first Hunger Games film, just as an introduction to the, the world of Pan Am and to Katniss Everdeen. And I love, I love the fact that she's not perfect and yet still can uh, triumph at the end of the day. I think, I think she's very, she's very wonderful and very vulnerable. I like how vulnerable she is. We get to see that so many different aspects of her persona and her personality and who she is as a woman as well as a person and uh jennifer lawrence is exceptional so that's my last honorable mention the hunger games there it is all right ladies and gentlemen the moment you have all been waiting for we have reached the end of the podcast and it is going to be a a wonderful little uh finale because i'm going to be talking about Honestly, one of my favorite films of all time, and that is The First Wives Club. Yes, number one, guys, number one, First Wives Club. Holy crap, adore it, love it, can't say enough about it, honestly. It is so great, such a funny story, it's wickedly funny. I watch it today and I still laugh my ass off every time. And I know all, I know like most of the lines, I know where the story goes, I know what happens, I know how it ends up, but there is just something about watching Diane Keaton, Bette Midler and Goldie Hawn be this just iconic trio in this movie that just keeps me coming back to rewatch this film. They're, it's just, they're phenomenal. Like as... Fr- friends like pretend, pretending to be friends on screen they have such great chemistry you, you can like that dinner that they have after the funeral so they they're all the only reason they end up coming back together is because their friend sadly killed herself um you know because her husband had left her for a younger woman so she took her own life because she was just she didn't know where she was going and she was middle-aged and yeah bad things very bad things so the women the three 
lead women of this film come back together. So that's uh, Elise, Brenda, and Annie, played by Goldie, Bet, and Diane, respectively. Um, yeah, they they come back together for the um, Cynthia's funeral, who was played by uh, Stocker Channing, icon in herself, and. Yeah, and they that I post funeral they end up having these like this like dinner and drinks and it's my favorite scene in the whole film because it's so funny. It's them reconnecting after like twenty years of not uh, seeing each other and and just catching up on on what life's been like. And then the three of them all come to the conclusion that they've been married, but have recently, uh, you know, found out that their partners are sleeping with younger women or have left them for younger women it's crazy so it's 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 so empower it's such an empowering film as a as a female and especially like i imagine when i get to uh the age that, that you know goldie diane and uh bet were at the time imagine when i get there i'll be able to resonate a bit more with their struggle and what they're going through and how that kind of wouldn't make them feel as women especially because of the way Hollywood generally portrays women of middle age you know it it's only kind of you know in more recent years becoming I'm not I don't want to say acceptable because it should always be acceptable but you know Hollywood doesn't really like to kind of give much love to you know middle-aged women and here here are these kick-ass ladies that are in their 40s and 50s just getting even with their exes and and just, you know, scheming together ways to bring the, the men down and bring them to their knees and, and you know, get what they feel they're owed uh, after, you know, the fact that they were cheated on uh, and treated awfully. But they're doing it in such clever ways and and funny ways. It's so funny. Oh, my God. It's so great. And, yeah, <laughs> all of the performances in this film are just phenomenal. Um and especially, you know, especially obviously from the three leading ladies, but, you know, we also have Sarah Jessica Parker in um, one of her role, big roles, like before Sex in the City. Um, she plays Shelley, the woman that Brenda, Bette Midler, Brenda's husband, Morton, um, left, left Brenda for, for Shelley. And she's like this skinny thing who's just very airy and, and doesn't really care much for substance, just, you know everything's about the facade with Shelley. Uh, yeah, she's very fake. Uh, and But Sarah Jessica Parker plays that really, really well. Elizabeth Berkeley is in this too. She's very funny as uh, the young Phoebe Lavelle. <laughs> um, she's the woman that Goldie Horn's Elise Elliot is, you know, that gets replaced, by, replaced with. Victor Garber's Bill Atchison was married to Elise Elliot and then yeah, <laughs> he's a he's like a talent agent or film producer, and so he ends up meeting Phoebe because she's an actress, and they yeah start hooking up. So there's that, and then uh, Diane Keaton's Annie McDuggan gets um, you know just it's so that's probably the worst one. So because basically Stephen Collins plays Aaron Paradis, who is Annie's husband, and they're going to therapy together. Or at least, I think Annie is going to see uh, Dr. Leslie Rosen, who's played by Marsha Gay Harden. She's her. She's Annie's therapist, and uh, and then it turns out that Aaron starts 
sleeping with the therapist and the way that's revealed is so heartbreaking and but funny at the same time the way Diane Keaton plays it I just Annie is just such a bundle of 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 tense energy you know she always just wants to do the right thing doesn't like taking risks doesn't like taking chances doesn't like doing anything kind of outside her means and outside the rules she's kind of a stickler kind of like that but she's a just a bundle of nervous energy really um so I kind of like how this film kind of sees her relax and chill out by the end of it um I, I really like I really like that where she ends up yeah you know and she even gets the chance to ha- to have Aaron back in her life you know he 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 tries to make up with her and he's and she's just like no 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 you know she uses her power that she has as a woman uh to reject him and it's it's freaking awesome um, yeah, I couldn't love this film more. Maggie Smith's in it. She plays Ganilla Garson Goldberg, who's like this iconic socialite uh, in New York there, and uh, that Elise, I think Elise Elliott's friends with. I'm pretty sure that's how they know. Oh, it's just, I don't know. I could go on and on about First Wives Club. It's just, it's such a great, uh, a great film for female friendship and female strength and coming together and persevering and, you know, standing up for who you are as a person defending your honor I guess and your you know your livelihood and not taking any crap from anyone you know even Ivana Trump (laughs) has a cameo in this film you know post-divorce from Donald and she you know she's she tells him don't get mad get everything and it's it's just beautiful and I love the fact that the three women sing you don't own me that's such an iconic scene the two scenes in the film that they sing that song I should say it's so awesome and then of course the main kind of theme like song of the film was uh, Aretha Franklin and Annie Lennox singing sisters are doing it for themselves and it's just killer awesome I love it I love it love it love it so much yes so the first wives club is hands down my favorite female-led film that I've ever seen or ever probably will see because it's 25 years old now and I adore it through and through. And if you haven't seen it, uh, I highly recommend checking it out. It is so much fun still to this day. It's immensely rewatchable and you'll fall in love with these women as I have over and over and over again. It's just perfection. So there you have it, guys. That is my list of my top 10 favorite female-led films holy crap, we've reached the end. Okay. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening um, and for watching the video as well. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble about these awesome women in these awesome movies that I absolutely love. Yeah, just, I guess I'm just going to plug some stuff. So remember to follow Fred the Alien on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And for future podcasts from Fred the Alien Productions, follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And if you want some sweet merch, uh, we have merchandise on our website, fredthealienproductions.com. And you can follow the link there to our Redbubble, where you can get apparel, home decor bags, and stationery with our own very unique Fred the Alien designs by our very talented team. There's also Unibums, Incompetent Gamers, Fred Watch, a podcast called Fred, The Monthly at Winifred's. There is so much. Live stage shows as well. And just endless, endless content. So get around fredthealienproductions.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed yourselves. I'm just, I'm just 
in awe of his beautiful and powerful inspiring women right now so i'm probably going to go watch one of these movies i think so yes thank you so much for listening i've been a kendall richardson and you've just experienced collectible chaos <laughs>